scripture reading this evening comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. Galatians 3, 23 through 29. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What a privilege to have Brother Joe Baxter leading singing for me. I, I've never... Uh, I've never worked at gospel meeting with Joe before, but he's, uh, he's been around in the entertainment field for a long time. In fact, he has five CDs available, songs he's put together, one of which will make you cry every time you hear it. It's about old Shep, as when he was a boy, he had a dog named Shep. It'll make you cry. But this man sang with Grandpa Jones. So you're in the presence of celebrity tonight. He's my good friend, and thank you, Joe, for those good songs. Appreciate it very much. I also want to congratulate you on something. I want to congratulate you for hiring a true Christian gentleman to be your minister. Mike Hickson is the epitome of what it means to be a gentleman. I guess I've known you since about 1913 or something, and I, I've always admired... I'm older than dirt, so you're not quite... Bad. I've always admired his work and the way he goes about his work. I'm especially grateful that he's working with GBN also. And Mike, that is the one thing I pray about every day, is the Gospel Broadcast Network. I would hope that we could find enough money in the Brotherhood where we could buy up every TV time for a whole week and just tell folks what to do to be saved. Wouldn't that be great? They couldn't turn on anything else. They couldn't see the liberals or the conservatives or anything else. They could just hear the Gospel. I wonder what would happen if that took place. It'd be great. But we're glad you're here, Mike. And uh, appreciate your helping me with that little fellow this morning. But I'd like his hat and coat back. You still have it. All right. I want to invite your attention to the book of Ezra this evening. Ezra. It's in the Old Testament on page 577. I want us to learn the five steps in getting close to God. And they are outlined for us in the book of Ezra. The sister said to me on one occasion, I don't enjoy studying the Old Testament. I suggested to her that she think about it differently. I asked her to think about it as a family album. Because every book of the Old Testament says something about Jesus in one way or another. And so you're looking at his story as you read the Old Testament. I preach a sermon sometimes on Jesus in the, every book of the Bible. And you can find him. You can find him at Genesis 3.15 to start. And so it is that we come to the book of Ezra and we ask ourselves, why do I need to know this history? What good does it do to me? Is there something important here I can grasp? Is it beneficial at all to study this book? This thing was this book was written around 445 BC, approximately 445. And the Jews who had been 70 years in Babylonian captivity are now returning home. Well, why do I need to know that? 
Why is that important? And why talk about getting close to God anyway? Because so many I meet now feel far away from Him. There was a young couple at a place I was preaching, and uh, they had a baby. And they were all excited, but she stayed home to take care of the baby, and he started to take home, stay home to take care of her, and all of a sudden they quit coming to church. They quit coming to worship. I asked them one time what happened. We don't know. We just got drifting away. We just don't feel close to God. Then I've met those who tell me they're bored stiff listening to the Bible preached or trying to worship. I just don't get anything out of it. Well, part of the reason is I haven't put anything into it. But I don't feel close to God. What's the problem? Well, look at the book of Ezra here with me and notice that Ezra says that about 50,000 Jews returned to Palestine. They'd been way over there to the east in Babylon. Now they were allowed by a man named Cyrus to come home. This man was named by Jeremiah 100 years before he lived. That's a tremendous prophecy. I have no idea what's going to happen in 100 years, and I couldn't tell anyone, but Jeremiah could. Now watch what we have here, verses 1 and 2 of Ezra 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit, underline that, and notice how that was done. It was done through the message of Jeremiah. The only way you and I can have our spirit stirred is through the word of God. It can't happen any other way. If it's the case that something else is happening, it's emotion and it's not the word of God. But this man, this Gentile king, read the uh, Jeremiah scroll and found out that his name was in it. Must have marveled at it. This Cyrus, king of Persia, made a proclamation. You remember the Persians defeated the Babylonians. Now Cyrus says, you folks can go home. He made a proclamation and put it in writing saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven. Now notice what this Gentile king calls him. He calls him Je Jehovah Elohim. He knew him. He knew who he was. And many Gentiles did. Hath given me all the kings of the earth. So far Cyrus is right. It's God who raises up kings and puts down kings. And so when he says he gave me all the kingdoms of the earth, he's right so far. But now he gets it confused. And he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Well, he's not going to be involved in the building of that temple. But it is the case that he allows these Jews to come home. But why is that important to me? What's that got to do with anything? Well, did they come home? Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Now, these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity. And if you read chapter 2 through verse 70 there, he will list the heads of all the tribes. And if you figure out the math, it's about 50,000 people. Far fewer than went into captivity. But these come back to Palestine. First step in getting close to God. Watch now. Run your fingers over to Genesis 12. Page 18. Somebody wrote all over my Bible. Now watch this reading. This is Genesis 12.1. Now watch the way it reads. Listen to the word. I, I learned a long time ago to pay attention to every word the Holy Spirit put in here because they're all important. I can't skip one. Notice what it says. Now the Lord had said. Sometime in the past, the Lord spoke to Abram, who was way over there in the east again, at Ur of the Chaldees. This Chaldean was told to get away from his father and his kindred to a land that God would show him. 
Abram didn't immediately obey. In fact, he took his nephew with him. Terah, his father-in-law, kept on the trip with him. He wasn't supposed to do that. And they ended up at Paden Aram, or the Fertile Crescent, way up north of Palestine. And it had to be the case that God came to him again because he said, I had said to you to do something, Abram. I want you to get to that land that I will show thee. Why? Look at verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Bless them that bless thee, curse him that curses thee. Now watch what he says. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The Revised Standard Version took that verse right out of the Bible. It reads in the Revised Standard Version, In thee, Abraham, shall all the families bless themselves. Paul picks up on this statement about the blessing that's coming through Abram, and he says, he said not to his seed as many, but thy seed, which is Christ. Abram, you're going to have an offspring that's going to bless all the families of the earth. He is the seed of Abraham. He is the Messiah. Now, where was Abram to go? Palestine. Why? Listen carefully. The first step in getting close to God is, I have to be in the place where God can bless me. If Abram does not go back to Palestine, or goes to Palestine, then we have no seed line, no Christ. If these Jews don't go back to Palestine, there's no Christ. Because the Christ is coming in Palestine through these very Jews who had gone into Babylonian captivity. They had to be in the place where God could bless them. That's why the book of Ezra is so important to us. It's telling us God is controlling history in such a way that he is accomplishing his purpose. Let's draw that together. Look over in Galatians 3 with me now. The passage read in our hearing just a moment ago. And here Paul discussing the law of Moses versus the law of Christ. Verse 23 of Galatians 3. Paul says, but before faith came, we were kept under the law. I'm going to stop there and ask a question. What does Paul mean by the word faith here? He doesn't mean personal faith. He can't. He says, before faith came, we Jews were kept under the law. Didn't those Jews have personal faith? Of course they did. Moses had the great faith. So did Joshua. In fact, Joshua is one of the great books in the Old Testament on faith. What's he mean before faith came? He's using the word faith not as our personal under, uh, belief, but as a synonym for the system called the gospel. And that's done in the scriptures quite a bit. Anytime the Apostle Paul uses the words law and faith in the same context, he's talking about the gospel system versus the law of Moses. Always. Every time. It never fails. So when I read this word faith here, I don't think personal faith. I think the whole system called the gospel. Personal faith is spoken of in Scripture. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's personal faith. There's another kind of faith spoken of in Scripture. It's that faith that we have that about a thing neither right nor wrong in itself, Romans 14. But it is the case that here he means the whole gospel system. Watch what he says. Before faith came, before the gospel came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith. You remember Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith. These uh, comments are about the difference between the law of Moses and the gospel system. He said, wherefore, the law was our tutor, 
our pedagogy to bring us to Christ, sort of guided us along. When I read the Old Testament, I think of the finger pointing toward the cross. Every book in the Old Testament is pointing to the cross. It's bringing us to Christ. It's our tutor to get us there. And so it is that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Now watch what he says, brothers and sisters, that we might be justified by faith. A proper understanding of that sentence, please listen to me, and take this home to your denominational member, um, neighbors. Be, wherefore we should be, afterwards be revealed, he says, and then we are justified by faith. You know how they read that? Faith alone. I want you to think about how arrogant it is for any human being to think that because he has the thought in his head that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that that's enough to justify him. Do you mean to tell me that my thoughts make me justified before God? Tell your neighbors, please, what this means here. We're justified by the gospel system. The whole system itself, which includes obedience to the gospel and living faithfully and anything else he charges us with. That's how we're justified, and the word by there means out of, incidentally. Justified out of this system. Well, are we still under the law of Moses? No, look at the next verse. But after that faith is come, that new system, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. I don't follow the Ten Commandments. Do you know? We're not under them. We're not under any of that kind of authority. We use the Old Testament for our learning. We're learning from it tonight. But we're certainly not under its canon law. And so it is. After that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Now watch what. I'm making the point that in order for God to bless me, I have to be in the place where that blessing is. Now watch what he says. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now how did that word faith translate? You're all the children of God by the gospel system. And where is that gospel system? What's your Bible say where that gospel system is? It says it's in Christ Jesus. Yes or no? Am I right? I don't see you going like this. Am I right? Okay. You have to be in Christ then to get the blessing. That's the point. Now notice the next verse. He'll tell you how to get into Christ. For as many of us as were baptized. Now look at the word after baptized. It's in two. Now go run back up to verse 26. The word in verse 26 is translated in. It's the same word in the Greek. He said in the Greek, you're all the children of God by pistos ace, Christ Jesus. You're all, for as many of you as have been baptized ace, Christ, have put on Christ. Same word. Why can't you faith into Christ? Because you can't take a noun and do that with it in the Greek language. But you can take a verb and do it. And so he said, you're baptized into Christ, then you're in Christ. And that's where the whole gospel system is. That's where the blessing is. On my property, I have a pond of it. It has dried up already. Is there an English teacher here tonight? No English teachers in the whole state of Mississippi. If I stand on the edge of that pond, dramatically, watch now, listen, you can help your neighbors here. If I stand on the edge of that pond, I cannot jump in the water. I have to be in the water to jump in the water. If I'm on the edge of the pond, I jump into the water, dramatically speaking. Now, how did he say we get into Christ? You cannot go around saying, I have faith in Christ, unless you're in Christ. That's the point. 
You have to be in Christ. And so he tells us that's where the blessing is. You want to get close to God tonight? Get yourself into Christ. Repent of your sins and be baptized for remission of your sins, and the Lord will place you in Christ. That's where the blessing is. And it isn't anywhere else. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now watch what he says. Let's draw it all together. Look at verse 29. Abram, you get down to Palestine. Took him a while, but he got there. His descendants went off to captivity in Babylon. They came back, thankfully. Now the Christ can come because the Jews are in the place where God's going to bring that blessing. But watch what he says in verse 29. He draws it all together for us. First step in getting close to God, if you be Christ, watch what he says, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We drew Genesis 12 all together now with Galatians 3 and suggested to us tonight that we need to be in Christ, the place of blessing. How many folks do we meet who have no concept of what to do to be saved? And hopefully this week, our young men who are one of four campaign or part of one of four campaigns this week, will find some folks who will listen to what the Bible says. You have to be in Christ. That's the place of blessing. Second step in getting close to God. Now they come back to Palestine. Look at chapter three. Chapter three of Ezra, page 580. Doesn't seem to be helping anybody. But it gives them time to find it, so I just talk. Chapter 3. Let's see what they did when they first got there to the place of blessing. When the seventh month was come, Chislu, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. What did they call that altar? Look down there at verse 5. They offered the continual burnt offering of the new moons, the monthly offerings, all the set feasts, three a year, that were consecrated. I'm a Jewish fellow, and I bring my animal to the priest, and he lays that animal in a certain way on the altar after he takes part of it. He will give me back part of it. Some of it will be burned. But you have the sense that you are being consecrated to Jehovah God. That's the altar of atonement, the altar of consecration. These people were saying, God, we offer ourselves to you. The second step in getting close to God is the altar of consecration. Look over at Genesis, or Genesis, Romans 12 with me for a moment. Romans, the 12th chapter. Paul explained the gospel system. He explained to the Jews they weren't rejected by God when God brought the Christ. They could obey the gospel too. And when he gets to chapter 12, he says, I beg you therefore, here's an apostle on his knees. Can you imagine I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. That's the first 11 chapters. He's explained that to them. Look all, all that God did to save both the Jew and the Gentile in Christ. So I beg you, by the mercy of God, watch what he says now, present your bodies, that's this thing in which I'm living, a living sacrifice. Underline the word sacrifice. Make a note to yourself. A living offering. He's not telling me in this verse to give up something for Jesus. 
That's not what he means by sacrifice. He means I'm to lay my body on that altar of consecration. I am to give myself to God Almighty, which is my reasonable, logical service. If God has done all this for me, why can't I give myself to him? And I have an idea that too many of us have never built that spiritual altar of consecration between us and God. Has there been a time in your life, my friend, when you told the Father that everything you ever get or have is His? Has there been a time in your life when you said to Him, anything I ever become or will become belongs to Thee? That's the altar of consecration. And it has kept too many away from God because they didn't know to do it. But Paul commanded it. This body does not belong to Keith. Brother Hickson, could I see your wallet a minute? Yes. That's God's wallet. I want to see yours. Can I see your car keys? They belong to God, my friend. He grabbed for his wallet. That's part of our problem right there, too. You know, when you baptize someone, you ought to baptize his wallet. You really should. There was a fellow living in the house in which I am now living who was restored at the age of 89 years old at Lake Forest. Later on, we bought that place, and he probably sat in that house one day and said, I'm at my home. He wasn't. He's no longer there at all. Doesn't even belong to him anymore. And that's the point. Where I live is not mine. In fact, if anyone wants to buy it, I'll sell it to you tonight. I'm tired of mowing the grass out there, aren't I? Yeah. Dylan's been out there mowing it himself. God, I give me to thee everything. I'm not holding anything back. I have built my altar of consecration. Third step. Go back to Ezra chapter 3 a moment. Now, I've come into the place where God can bless me. I'm in Christ. And I have said to the Father, I'm yours. Use me. And now I've got something to do. Look at verse 8 of chapter 3 of Ezra. Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem, and appointed the Levites from twenty years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. If it's the case that I'm baptized into Christ, and I have never offered myself to him, I probably won't go to work for him. And sadly, over the years, I've seen a lot of folks who became dissatisfied with the church, bored by the church, but if I talked to them long enough, I found out all they ever did was attend. And if the preacher wasn't what they thought he ought to be, time to leave. If uh, somebody there offended him, time to leave. I learned a long time ago never to look at another human being and judge my Christianity by his. I try to keep my focus on the Christ 
That's where I try to stay centered. And I have gone to work for the Lord. That's the point. Elders, one of your jobs is to find a job for everybody in the church. You need to find a task they can do. Something that will keep them involved. What's that old cliche, idle hands or the devil's workshop? There's some truth in that. Just go to work for him. I want to tell you how important that is. And if there's a young preacher or two in the audience tonight, please don't do what this brother did. But he did it, and so I'm going to tell you what he said because he said it from the pulpit. You all will remember Johnny Ramsey, right? No? You folks know who Johnny Ramsey was? Great preacher. No longer with us. He's over in paradise. But he got a phone call one day sitting in his, while he was sitting in his office, and the sister said, Brother Ramsey, I am so upset with the church down there. I'm home all day alone. Nobody comes and visits me. I don't think I'm coming back. And Brother Ramsey said, Sister, you make me sick. See, I told you I didn't recommend you do that. He said, Go out in the kitchen and bake a pie. Take it to somebody in your neighborhood that's sick and leave me alone. And he hung up the phone. Next Sunday, she saw him. She went right toward him. <laughs> and she said, Brother Ramsey, do you know how angry I was when you hung up that phone? He said, how angry were you? She said, I don't know, but out of spite, I did what you told me to do. I haven't had such a good day in years. Instead of sitting back and complaining about the work the church doesn't do, just come on in, folks. The water's fine. Get to work. Now, if you do... I want you to see what's going to happen. The true worker for God is going to know immediately what I mean by what I'm about to say. Look at chapter 4. I have to warn you about something so you can stay close to God. If you come into Christ, if you offer yourself to the Lord, if you go to work for Him, somebody is going to be out to get you. He's called the devil. And he's going to use people around you to do it. Look at chapter 4 with me. Now when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of captivity built the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Now watch the devil's message here. Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. Why, you Israelites know that we're all trying to go to heaven just by different roads. That's Satan's message. And he uses it all the time trying to draw people away from the church. He tried to get this work of building the temple stopped. Zerubbabel and his people would not allow that. He said, you have nothing to do with us to build a house under our God. We'll build it ourselves. Well, when it didn't work by infiltrating, they began to weaken the hands of the people of Judah. I don't know exactly what they did. Did they steal their tools? I really don't know, but they were trying to get it stopped. When that didn't work, they hired lawyers. We'll get some lawyers here and find out where this decree from Cyrus is that they can build. Well, Cyrus had died. Darius Estaspus was on the throne now, and he couldn't find a decree from Cyrus. And so while the counselors went to work, you think our trials are carried out a long time, they got the work stopped for 16 years. I don't know where you go to worship. But wherever it is, and it says Church of Christ on it, the devil's after you. He doesn't like the fact you're there. He doesn't care about anyone else except God's children. He's not after these people in the world. He already has them. He is coming against us as hard as he can. Maybe it's a person at work giving you a hard time. Maybe it's a friend or a relative. 
giving you a hard time. Maybe you're being criticized unjustly or something happened and you thought that it shouldn't have happened to you. But if you go to work for the Lord, He's coming. And He's coming hard. And He won't let up. I was teaching a class one time on temptation. And one sister said, it's all right for you to teach on it. You're not tempted. You're a preacher. You're not tempted. I probably get tempted more. Because the harder you try to stay close to Christ, the harder the devil's coming after you. Studying with a gentleman on one occasion, he was ready to be baptized. Called his mother, let's meet at the church building. His wife, who had sat in on the study and was a delinquent member of the church, actually stopped it. She said, now honey, you better think about this for a while. That man's never been baptized. The devil got him before the seed could be planted. The birds came and took away the seed. He will not stop in his efforts. He loves it when we're bickering in the church. He just loves that. Did you know that God won't let me worship unless I'm at peace with all of my brothers and sisters? Got ought against a brother? Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Take care of it. And if you have ought, don't bring your gift to the altar. Go first be reconciled to your brother and then... Why? Because the devil uses that kind of thing. Gordon, we've sat in some business meetings where the devil was at work, wasn't he? Sure was. And so, if I come into Christ, if I say to him, everything I have is yours, if I go to work, the enemy's coming. What do I do? Look at chapter 5. You have to stay close to God. Look what God did here. God said, they need a word from me. And so he sent the prophets Haggai and Zechariah 5.1 to get those people encouraged to start the building of the temple again. Haggai admonished them. He said, you folks have your own wonderful houses. How about building God's house? That's the message of Haggai. Zechariah gave them eight visions. Rather strange to read, but in each vision you're told, God's here. God's in the midst of it. You can get it done. Nothing hard about understanding that. Whenever it is the case that you feel down, it's probably because you haven't been in the Word, studying it, listening to it, letting it encourage you. These folks won the battle. They stayed close to God. They came back to Palestine, built that altar of consecration. They went to work faced the enemy, and God helped them with his word. I want you to look at chapter 6 and see what the result was. Look at verse 16 of chapter 6. And the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the children of captivity, kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. And offered at the dedication of this house of God a hundred bullocks, 200 rams, 400 lambs, for a sin offering for all Israel, 12 he-goats. You ever hear this nonsense that there are 10 lost tribes? How many of you have heard that on radio or something? There are 10 lost tribes of Israel and we've got to find them again and they'll all be back there in Jerusalem one day for a thousand years. You ever heard that? Well, there were not 10 lost tribes. Why 12 he-goats? Because 12 tribes came home from Babylon. Of the tribes of Israel, and they set the priests and so on, but how did they do it? 
with joy. I want to hear something from God on the judgment day that sounds something like this. Keith, I'm glad you worked for me, but I'm glad you did it with joy. When I've offered myself to God, that's the result of it. When I have consecrated my work to Him, that's the result of it. And when I have faced the enemy and defeated him, that is also the result. Joy. Oh, it's not a jump up and click your heels kind of thing. It's just an inner peace that passes all understanding. I recommend it to you tonight. If you're not in Christ, come into Christ. That's the place of blessing. How do I do that? Well, do you believe that he is the Christ? Well, if you do, I'm going to ask you tonight to do what he said to do, repent. That doesn't mean I feel sorry for my sin, folks. That will lead you to repent, godly sorrow. But repentance is the moment you make the decision to do whatever God told you to do. Why is it so hard to show someone in the Bible that he that believes and is immersed shall be saved, and yet they don't respond, not ready to go to work for the Lord, not ready to consecrate self, holding back a little, if you believe he's the Christ tonight, repent. And let someone immerse you in water after you confess that he is the Christ. That's all it takes. Once you come up out of that water, having obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching, God will justify you by faith. That is, by the gospel system. Maybe there's a member of the church here, too, that needs to be committed to him. But whatever your need, please make it known while we stand. While we stand.